another episode of Moto Misers, the inaugural episode as it is. Uh, this is a show for those of you who want to play EDH or Commander on Magic the Gathering Online, and we're doing it with an extreme budget. We are going to talk about decks on this show that are no more than $15, and we're going to talk about individual cards that cost literal pennies or they cost pennies compared to their paper counterparts. And we're really surprised with the power level of some of this stuff that we can play in this format. Uh, and I'm Andrew McSorley. Uh, I'm one of your hosts. And with me, as always, are my two co-hosts. We got Lucas Tuttle. Lucas, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Having a, having a good time in the spring of Wisconsin. The spring of Wisconsin. Nothing beats it. What's blooming outside? What do you got? Grass, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> do we <laughs> name a flower, man? Name something. Give me a shrub, something. What do you got? Tulips. I don't know what. <laughs> yes, tulips. All right, all right, brilliant. Uh, and so that's Lucas Tuttle and uh, my other co-host Mason Grody. How are you, my man? I'm doing all right. Well, all right. What's uh, what's going on in your neck of the woods today? How's everything looking? You got tulips? Uh, zero tulips. Uh, still, I'm working on it. Uh, but I, I got to take a nice little nappy, and I made some dumplings, and we're we're doing good. So if you don't know this about Mason Grody, um, he is an accomplished chef. He's well-trained, um, and he's full, chock full of these incredible recipes. He's going to make your mouth water. Um, I promise you that by the end of the episode, dumplings, man, um, are these stuffed, uh, are, what do we got here? Potatoes? What's going on? Yeah. These are Chinese dumplings. I just had a, a bunch of extra ground beef. So I made it, uh, so th they're filled with ground beef and some other seasonings and such. It's, uh, they're pretty, they're pretty okay. It was the first time I ever made them, so they could have been better, but. All right. Oh, Mia, I'm. I've been jealous of uh, uh, talking to you about food during uh, uh, this time. If uh, <clears throat> if you're listening to this in, in the future, for some reason, um, today is May 6th, 2020, that we're recording. We're in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic, and everyone is, is trapped inside. Businesses are closed. Um, and a couple nights a week, I get to hear about all of this great food that Mason is making and all of these really great snacks that Lucas and Mason are, are noshing on every single night. And we're going to talk about that at the end of the episode. So, so stay tuned for food talk at the end of our Magic the Gathering podcast, y'all. Um, <clears throat> so really quick, let's, uh, let's meet everybody kind of, because I'm hoping there are people out there who are going to be listening to this who don't know who we are, where we come from, how we got into EDH, what the heck we're doing here. Um, Lucas, can you jump in? Can you talk about like, when did you start playing magic? What got you into EDH? Uh, and just what you find fun about the format, stuff like that. Oh yeah, for sure. I, uh, I remember I played, I played magic as a kid with my good friend, Andrew McSorley. Uh, and yeah, we had a good time playing just some kitchen table stuff. Um, my mom, uh, a conservative Christian, hated it, thought I was worshiping Satan himself. And so saw fit to always throw my cards away. After after uh, I left high school, I stopped playing. And um, I, I remember, Andy, running into you 
um, after moving back into town and you just kind of brought it up, Hey, you, you want to play some magic? There's this cool format EDH would love to teach you. And I was like, okay, yeah, for sure. And that was back in 2016, I think. And, and ever since then, I've had a blast relearning the game, relearning the form, learning the format. Uh, it's been a wonderful time. I, I'm not great at the game, but I do love hanging out with friends and playing some casual commander. Yeah, I remember distinctly running into you on the street, um, not knowing you were back in town and uh, just being flabbergasted that, that we were reconnecting that way and then really became close again uh, through magic. And that's like always been what's special about this. That's why this podcast is going to be cool, because it's a way to bring us all together in the uh, the quarantines, as I call them um of of distant everything um so that's such a cool story Tuttle I so I remember your your mom I hope she doesn't listen to this man uh <laughs> <laughs> I did not know that she threw cards away do, do you have specific recollections of this like did she throw away anything valuable like did she throw some vampiric tutors into the uh into the bin do you remember anything uh, I am very grateful. I have no recollection of what I had. I had that Ishan's e- shade or whatever that I loved. It wasn't very good protection from white or whatever, three black pips. But Pro white, I, that's for real. What's that? Pro white is for real, man. That's that's busted. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and I just, every time I bought cars, um, she would find them and throw them away. I remember always hiding them. Um, I don't remember. I played a lot of black, black, white discard type stuff. It was just kitchen table, us having fun being dumb. So I'm grateful. I don't remember if I had anything valuable uh, in the pile. Uh, otherwise, I'd be uh, kicking myself pretty hard right now. There would be so much tragedy. Um, Mason, can you talk to us? You are unlike me and and Tuttle who I think many people would uh, describe as pretty filthy casuals um, who pay as little attention to the competitive side of the game as possible. You have kind of gone to the opposite end where I think most of the time you spend playing the game is in the competitive arena um, around uh, smaller constructed formats, modern, legacy, um, standard, that kind of stuff. Um, Talk to us about your journey what brought you to EDH? Uh, what brings you into this format here that we're talking about now? Um, yeah. So I guess I, I'll make it brief. Uh, so I started in uh, Zendikar. Um, super kitchen table, casual, never played it. I just played it with four of my other friends. We would play the most kitchen table of all. We'd play free for all. And we would never buy singles. We didn't even know that was really a thing. We just bought Zendikar booster packs. Um, so just drinking in our, in my friend's basement, us five hanging out, not even understanding how the game works. Um, did that for a few years and then quit. And then what was maybe four or five years ago, a buddy of mine talked me into this format commander that I'd never heard of. So I, I went from super, super casual kitchen table to not playing at all to just jumping into Commander. Um, 
And actually, so from Commander, I started playing more and more, started showing up at stores and playing Commander, which led me to slowly start playing Standard. And then that was the, that was kind of the cycle that just spiraled out of control, which is now I play every competitive format besides Vintage, I guess. I, that's one format I don't really mind not touching. That's, uh, yeah, that's quite a slippery slope, man. Um so tell me right now, what's your favorite format and is your goal um, to get on the pro tour? Uh, are you, are you working towards that? What's, what's kind of the end game with these constructed formats? Uh, yeah. So I guess right now I'm mostly engulfed in pioneer, but I do dabble with, with other stuff like modern and legacy. Mostly don't really touch standard right now. Uh, but I guess it's something that I, when I started playing standard competitively, and then I started qualifying for bigger tournaments that were leading to the pro tour, I kind of told myself that once I make it to the pro tour, like then I'll feel accomplished enough in, in this game, all this time that I spent playing competitively. And I've been joking with other people that once I make it to the pro tour, I can finally quit this game. Um, but I highly doubt that will that'll happen of me quitting the game. That is, I do plan on making the pro tour at some point, but it's a, it's a grind. So you'll hit pro tour and then uh, we'll get you back into the paper EDH tables. Is that what's going to happen? Uh, I mean, I could, I could see it happening, but uh, I don't know. You'll buy your whole collection back and, uh, and we'll see you in the game store. Yeah, yeah, we'll see about that. I know, of course, <laughs> our our listeners don't know. I've recently just sold like all of my paper commander cards, which which has helped me financially a lot. That's definitely had some looking at my collection, not really realizing what I had in whole of, just for commander cards. It, it's kind of absurd how how it adds up. This is an absurd game when it comes to money. Um, <clears throat> that would have been a really good segue into our first segment. But I want to talk about me um, because uh, my experience very similar to, to Lucas's. Um, I started playing, I think, in like 1994 or something like this. Uh, my friend's brother came down into my basement and I distinctly remember he had these packs of cards and he had this black deck, and there, there was a Cyclopean mummy. Do you remember that card? It's terrible. I don't know what it does. Um, but I remember looking at that and going, I don't know what any of this means, and I want more of it. And me and my friends kept playing until maybe like 1999, 2000. I remember kind of buying a lot of cards until like Visions, that, that kind of era. Um, basically sold everything off. Um, and then came back to the game in 2013 uh, when I moved back to Wisconsin. And uh, for some reason, getting back here, that gave me so much nostalgia. I just wanted to like dive back into magic again. And Commander was the way to uh, do magic the way I wanted to, which was this really casual way and this really creative method of, of building decks and uh, expressing yourself and just having a social atmosphere as opposed to uh, winning at all costs, et cetera, et cetera. Um, <clears throat> so that's been kind of the journey for me. 
And as we've uh, gone along, Lucas and Mason, uh, I've played with you guys in person a lot. Um, but now we're at a place where um, we can't do that really anymore. Um, I have resisted, I don't know about you guys, but I've resisted Magic Online um, and Arena and those ways of participating in the game um, pretty much wholesale, um, especially Magic the Gathering Online. I've like never played it. Um, so when we kind of started uh, and, and with some other people started playing uh, a few nights a week um, with this budget format, I was extremely skeptical of how I was going to feel about this. But it turns out it's a ton of fun. And it turns out when you can build decks for like between $10 and $15, you can build a bunch of decks and it doesn't hurt as much as building stuff in paper. Um, and building the collection and, and building decks, there's a learning curve with playing in Moto for sure uh, that I'm still getting used to, but it's a ton of fun. And I wanted to do this podcast because I'm so surprised at myself that I'm like addicted to it, that I want to do it. I couldn't believe it. Um, so <clears throat> that's where we're coming to. You, you heard in the introduction that the whole goal of this podcast is to talk about if we're talking about decks and doing deck techs and things like that, uh, we're not going to talk about a deck that costs more than $15 total at the time of recording. And most of the cards that we are going to talk about on an individual basis are either going to cost you literally like two to four cents, or uh, they're going to be cards that we mentioned because they are so deeply budget compared to the paper format. Sometimes they're staples in EDH. Um, sometimes they're role players, but nonetheless, they're things that maybe you wouldn't have access to normally in your decks. So <clears throat> excited to start talking about this stuff, guys. Um, are we ready to jump into our first segment? All right, let's do it. So the first thing we want to talk about is uh, we figured that some of the people who are out here listening right now um, haven't jumped into uh moto and built commander decks yet so we wanted to give some recommendations for uh specifically commanders that we would recommend for newcomers to both the budget format and also magic online um i don't think uh we we want to jump in to uh moto for the first time with the most complicated interactions and and things to do uh you don't want to sit there clicking 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 um as much as possible when you're starting out. So we have some recommendations for newcomers, uh, both into the budget world and to uh, Moto in general. So what we're going to do here is we're going to talk about a specific commander, and then we're going to give you a few pillar cards, a few cards that build around this commander that you have to have in your deck um, that, that give it that oomph. And we're going to talk about a few of those cards and what they do, how you're going to use them, what the game plan is of this deck basically. So that's the plan here today. Uh, we're going to start with Lucas Tuttle. Lucas, what do you got? What would you recommend for newcomers in this thing? Well, I have had, like you, had a blast playing uh, Magic Online. I didn't think I was going to. Very similar to your story, but it's been a wild ride, and you're right. It's addicting going, for 10 bucks or 15 bucks, I can build this deck or I can build that deck, and man, I I've had a blast. The, the first deck that I picked up was, was Thassa. Uh, deep dwelling uh, that 
just something I've always thought was fun. I thought it was hilarious and standard to uh, Agent of Treachery with Thassa. It was my favorite thing. So I'm like, let's do it with Commander. And I am not a brilliant deck builder. And so I use a lot of deck techs I find on the internet to help me build a deck. And I think the thing that really kind of changed how I build decks or how I look at budget is I remember somebody had their whatever $100 deck and their $200 deck and their $500 deck because I'm going through these websites and and i realized on on online these decks are still only like 15 20 30 dollars and i'm like oh my goodness some of these cards that are 20 30 dollars you know i'm thinking of risk study or propaganda is not quite 20 or 30 but that are you know kind of can be expensive are a lot cheaper online and so being able to pull through multiple decks of various budgets to go and what fits where I'm going uh, was really super helpful, especially as I, I built Thassa. And honestly, Thassa, most of these cards are three cents. There's a couple that are more than three cents. Uh, right now, unfortunately, Agent of Treachery is spiking uh, uh, in all around in all formats, and so it's going up on Moto. It's now three dollars and eighty cents. And even with the deck being three, even with it three being three dollars and eighty cents. It's still only a $11.59 deck that we have in here. Uh, the other pieces, mono-colored, so lands are easy to find, easy to put together, not hard. Uh, the other card that I was really cheap is Saf uh, Sapphire Medallion. can be $15, $0.36 cents here. Easy inclusion in the process. Lucas, can you uh, quickly, can you read Thassa to us? Can you, uh, can you tell us what, what that does? I know there's two Thassas out there. People might not be familiar with this iteration and, and, and what the kind of purpose of the deck is based around her. Sure. Probably should have left, led with that. Yeah, so Thassa Deep Dwelling, uh, three and a blue, legendary enchantment creature, god, indestructible. As long as your devotion to blue is less than five, Thassa isn't a creature. At the beginning of your end step, exile up to one other target creature you control, then return that card to the battlefield under your control. You can also pay three in a blue and tap another target creature. So Thassa blinks creatures at your end step. So the name of the game here is just outvalue everybody with uh, card advantage or tempo plays by bouncing creatures. Uh, and then when you have to, tap Tap creatures down to avoid being attacked. Uh, she herself is wonderful. She is her own engine. Uh, very difficult for Thassa to be removed from the battlefield. Uh, I actively avoid trying to make her a creature. I love her being just an enchantment god. So always avoiding that. And then just blinking creatures that either maybe tutor up a land to my hand or um, draw cards or untap lands, looking at you, cloud fairies. Uh, yeah, so that's the game plan. That's what we're doing. Oh man, so she uh, Thassa is monocolored, um, so that obviously makes the build a little bit easier, right? You don't have to invest in in lands or a, a lot of things to make the mana consistent. Um, what else about her kind of lends her towards maybe like newcomers to the to the format or or people who are just starting to play on Modo? Is she easy to to interact with? Uh, in this platform as well yeah there there's still a learning curve and i don't you know this is my first commander deck and really my first interaction in magic online and so i'm not sure uh where she ranks that for me there was a learning curve 
trying to figure out how to use a stack or when to click what. And often, I, you know, there's a couple of times I click through triggers that, you know, I missed blinking a creature for advantage because uh, I wasn't quite sure what was going on. But overall, it's quite easy. You you play these creatures and then bounce these creatures, and that that's it. And so all these all of these spells in the deck are either creatures or something to help you bounce these creatures, flicker them, put them back to your hand, put them back into the battlefield, and get another trigger. And Mason can can speak to this too because we've been playing against Lucas and and Thassa for quite some time. And it's not that she's annoying necessarily, but the value that Thassa is able to accrue with with just incremental advantages, just scry two a couple times a turn, draw an extra card, draw an extra two cards. Um, it, it, it gets to a point where you just know that Lucas is going to have an answer in his hand at some point. You just know he is going to be able to control the board through mana advantage with Thassa's tap ability is actually pretty interesting in and of itself. I've seen you use that alongside of um, what's the enchantment um, that uh, dismiss into dreams that whenever uh, a creature is a target of a spell or ability, then you gain control of it, right? Yep. And that goes hand in hand with Will Breaker, who says, whenever a creature an opponent controls becomes a target of a spell or ability that I control, gain control of that creature for as long as you control Will Breaker. Yeah. So even that line of text becomes relevant in, in the late game, right? And, uh, and, and that's been so incredible to see like a fairy seer uh, come down on turn one. And eventually, you kind of start to to see these little creatures that normally don't matter, and they almost feel like must kills by the time you get to like turn six, turn seven. Um, so that's a lot of fun. So if if you like value, if you like drawing extra cards, if you like seeing your opponent squirm and and try to kill a tutu that you have on board because they don't want you to get extra stuff out of it, this is the deck for you. Um, other last thoughts about uh, about Thassa Tuttle before we move on to uh, to Mason. Yeah, it's uh, the the deck. Like I said, I I couldn't even make it fifteen dollars. Like it's twelve. It's a twelve dollar deck. It's a lot of fun to play. Uh, drives people crazy. Uh, plus, it helps you. It really, in my opinion, really helps you learn the Moto client and how where when to click, where to click. Um, kind of walks you through that process. So strong recommend on Thassa. Oh, it's it's a beauty, man. I, I I love it. I did not know it was that deeply discounted. I did. I I thought you were closer to fifteen dollars with that thing. That's really cool. That's definitely a a bonus on that too. That you can get a pretty ramped up mono blue deck for like twelve bucks. Are you crazy? Oh man. Anyway, all right. Um, Mason, what do you got, buddy? Did did you bring us something today? Um, I did. I kind of brought something funky, but I mostly. I mostly would just wanted to harp on, I think, a really good pick in general is something with green. Um, green, you pretty much just, you can play almost anything. You get insanely powerful, um, consistent decks. You get all of these crazy ramp. You get, you get Sylvan Library. Um, that's two cents. Um, so the commander I picked... Um, was just mono green. Though I do prefer two color decks. Um, I know this is the second mono color deck, 
And that definitely that's that's definitely not something you have to do with a fifteen dollar budget. You can very easily play two colors, uh, any two colors, and not have an issue. Um, but I did want to just stress on green, um, and I picked a I picked a funky commander, uh, Gargos Vicious Watcher. It's a three colorless, three green, uh, legendary Hydra. That's an eight seven, and this is where it gets funky. You get it has vigilance. Uh, Hydra spells you ca- cost cast four less to cast. Whenever a creature you control becomes a target of a spell, uh, Gargos Vicious Watcher fights up to one target creature you don't control. Um, so this deck idea is basically all about targeting your own stuff and it's all about card advantage um you get to play really silly things like preyed upon which is just a fight spell but if you're just a mono green deck you just play these big big beaters and you when you target something of your own with a fight ability you get to fight also with your commander gargos so basically it's a one mana kill two creatures in most cases um so just being able to two for one people that way, um, one of the main, one of the most insane cards in the deck, uh, Season of Growth, which is whenever a creature enters the battle, it's an enchantment. Sorry, for one colorless, one green. Whenever a creature you control enters the battlefield, you scry, scry one. Um, but this other line of text is really important. Whenever you cast a spell that targets a creature you control, you draw a card. So back in the, the statement before, if you cast a Prey Upon to have one of your creatures fight, you get to hypothetically kill two creatures and draw a card for one mana, which is pretty wild. Um, and other than that, the deck just basically wants to do mono green stuff. You just ramp. You want to ramp as fast as possible to play your your commander as soon as possible and you play most of your interaction is stuff like blossoming defense um to give your stuff hexproof and then you can also fight and other things like that i'm trying to pull up there's there's many spells that just give your a target creature indestructible which is another form of protection but and also, you get a fight trigger on top of that. Um, and then, yeah, you there's just so much card advantage in in green for cheap, and the consistency too. Um, just some really good green cards I want to note. Uh, Seedborn Muse I see on here is only uh, five cents. Uh, we have. Shared summons, which is ten cents. Uh, Soul of the Harvest, which is also just a cheap card, but just just easy card advantage stuff. One card that's also not cheap. Uh, Growing rights of Itlamok, that is nine cents. So, so this almost sounds like sometimes it's going to play as like okay, put a shell around Gargos. And then other times it's going to be like mono green control. Does that seem right? Yeah, kind of, kind of. But you're going to get to control the board. You, you're you going to be able to kill anything 
that your opponents put out if they're creature based. Right. It, and it plays that, and it also plays since the way that it's playing control is around big creatures, you can also just like smash people in the face with big creatures. So, so is that the end game? Are you going to win through combat? What's, what's kind of the late game push? How do you win? I think the late game is basically just controlling the board, drowning your opponents in card advantage, where you're drawing at least three times as many cards um, as your opponents. Um, and you get these crazy tutor effects that make it super consistent. And then you can, um, the very budget version of Crater Hoof, which is N-Raise Forerunners, um, which is Vigilance Trample Haste for eight mana. When it enters the battlefield, other creatures you control get plus two, plus two, Vigilance, and Trample until end of turn. Um, but I do want to check. I don't think Crater Hoof is actually very expensive. Uh, it's three. It's three dollars online. So it, it is a big, a solid chunk. You can fit that in pretty easily, especially with this deck. Uh, almost everything is dirt cheap. Like nothing costs you anything because you're playing stuff like Prey Upon or just these like these uh constructed unplayable cards, basically. Which I, I think is, I do want to mention, I think that is why you get these certain cards that are really expensive in paper, but really, really cheap online. Because online prices depend on how well they play in competitive formats. So if you have, like, a lot of commander cards are not super 1v1 friendly. They're, very, they're not usually very good, or sometimes they're just... They're not even legal in those formats, so um, the demand of those cards online are lower, which makes makes the price lower. Yeah, we talked about that during a game at some point, right? That like the economy in this is a little more based on actual usage in tournaments, and scarcity doesn't really work the same way in, in Moto either, right? You can't really just have a card that is extremely rare, um, and so its price is inflated. Right. I mean, there are actually... They, online is weird. Uh, the There are some specific, like, commander products that are one of the most rare products on MTGO. So some of those will be really inflated. Um, where normally, in paper, they would be really cheap. Yeah, there are some things here that are reprinted into Oblivion in commander products i'm looking at you soul ring what are you doing you're like yeah. you're like 10 13 most of the time what is going on but in paper we have the you 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 know you you walk two feet in a game store and you get hit by seven soul rings um, <laughs> um hey other, anything else you wanted to talk about this mono green garbage <laughs> I'm I'm gonna beat both of you with this deck. Just you wait. Um, I'm so looking forward to getting just thrashed by this. <laughs> um, I guess just let's see, a couple. Of, I guess three three key cards too. Not even just to the deck, just to the idea of green being really really good. Uh, Zendikar Resurgent, a seven mana enchantment. I think most people that play Commander know this card. Whenever you tap a land for mana, you get 
one plus that into your pool. Um, and then whenever you cast a creature, you draw a card. Uh, so insane card advantage right there. And then Life Crasher's Bestiary, three mana artifact. At the beginning of your upkeep, scry one. Whenever you cast a creature spell, you may pay a green and you draw a card. This is 36 tickets. Sorry, 36 cents. And then the last the last one I just want to mention quick is uh, Fauna Shaman. Uh, one colorless, one green. Uh, you pay a green, tap it, discard a creature card, search your library for a creature, reveal it, put it in your hand. It's a 2-2 two, two creature. This is 68 cents, not tickets. 68 cents. Fauna Shaman is so good. It's very so good. good. So I... Um, I'm going to break the monocolored uh, uh, parade that we have going on here. And I'm going to talk about um, a deck that I um, have only played a couple of times, but I really love. And I think um, this is a healthy deck for somebody who's pretty new to the format. Um, and it's actually a lot of fun to play if you like stacks and if you like um, making your opponents a little uncomfortable and having a bunch of enchantments that uh, that give you value and hurt your opponent. So I'm talking about Nath of the Guilt Leaf. Um, this is three black and a green. You get a legendary creature, Elf Warrior. At the beginning of your upkeep, you may have target opponent discard a card at random. And whenever an opponent discards a card, you may create a 1-1 one, one green elf warrior creature token. Um, <clears throat> so why I really like this is because, um, first of all, this whole deck is um, full of stuff that shouldn't be in budget. Um, also, you get, you get two abilities that end up synchronizing extremely well with each other, being able to disrupt your opponent's hand and then being able to go wide. So a couple of things that I... Have thrown in here that work extremely well um waste not i think this is like probably eight or nine dollars in paper um and it's pennies in uh in moto uh, <clears throat> waste not is an enchantment uh one in a black and whenever an opponent discards a creature card you create a two two black zombie creature token whenever an opponent discards a land card you add black black to your mana pool and whenever an opponent discards a non-creature non-land card you draw a card so at first glance, whenever Nath is going off during your upkeep, you're getting something, some kind of value from Waste Knot. But in addition, we're running a ton of incidental discard, just stuff in this deck. Um, things that just force opponents to discard on their upkeep, uh, things that target a single opponent and force them to discard, um, stuff uh, that is, is just going to usually every turn uh, get somebody's hand down by at least two cards so you're generally going to get like a zombie and a card draw out of this um, especially in the late game as your synergies start coming together and that's what i really love about this deck is all these synergies that start to roll together um, another card that i wanted to mention is oppression uh, it's one black black for an enchantment and it says whenever a player plays a spell that player discards a card from his or her hand now obviously this stacks you um, whenever you uh, cast a spell, you're going to discard a card from your hand. But we play a lot of reanimation stuff, Noxious Revival, Regrowth, that type of thing. Um, so we're not too concerned with discarding things from our hand. We're pretty comfortable being in top deck mode at a certain point. 
Um, and <clears throat> as this synergizes and, and starts to snowball with other effects, um, it really becomes difficult for your opponents to actually play things of value. They're going to play a card and lose a card, and that's going to benefit you in the long game. Um, <clears throat> we also have um, Vulturus Zombie, which is three black and a green for a creature plant zombie. I don't know what's going on with those creature types. I'm not going to lie. A plant zombie. But uh, this is uh, a plant zombie creature, 3-3 uh, three, three with flying. Whenever a card is put into an opponent's graveyard from anywhere, put a plus one, plus one counter on Vulturous Zombie. Without even trying, you can get this thing as soon as you put it out to uh, by the next turn. It's like a 10-10 easily um <clears throat> this can be an end game finisher it can also just be a lightning rod to get some removal spells out of your opponent's hand um it's great it's not the most flashy thing it's not the most competitive thing it costs five uh but it grows really big and it can be a way to either win the game or take somebody way down on life total with that flying evasion so i really like that one and then there is one little combo in this deck that I love. It doesn't win you the game, but uh, you're in a really good spot if you get to do this. This is um, a creature, Sadistic Hypnotist. Uh, three black black for a creature minion. It's a 2-2, two -two, and it has the ability sacrifice a creature, target player discards two cards from his or her hand, play this ability only any time you could play a sorcery. So if you already have Nath out, um, <clears throat> you theoretically... On your upkeep, you've made a green elf creature token by forcing someone to discard. You play Sadistic Hypnotist, you sacrifice that elf token, and you force somebody to discard two cards. Uh, when they do that, you create two more elf tokens. You can sacrifice one of those to force somebody to discard two cards, make two more elf tokens. You see where this is going. It doesn't win you the game, but it takes everyone's cards out of their hand at the table, plus you get a bunch of tokens uh, to work with afterwards, you should be in a really good spot at this point. You're not, you haven't won, but you're forcing your entire, all of your opponents to be uh, hellbent at this point. <clears throat> so if you're not winning from this position, um, then maybe this is all you had uh, going for you. But um, it's a wonderful combo. Uh, it's fantastic. Um, the other thing that we're looking for in this are just a bunch of stacks pieces. Things that I run are like Defense Grid, Torpor Orb, um, Tangle Wire, Nether Void, No Mercy, Painful Quandary, all stuff like that. Also, Chains of Mephistopheles, boys, this is um, something to the tune of a $500, $600 card in paper. It's um, like $0.28 cents in, uh, in Moto. And uh, <clears throat> I run that thing. It really just doesn't allow your opponents to get any card draw value. Whenever they would draw an extra card, they have to discard a card. Um, and, then, and then they draw a new card to replace it. So it, it, it makes things really complicated. If they can't discard a card, if they have nothing in their hand, which often they won't uh, when you're doing this, if they would draw a card that's outside of the uh, card that they drew for turn, they're going to mill a card off the top of their library. It's wild. You need a flowchart sometimes to figure out what's going on with it, but it's so fun to play and it's so cheap and you got to do it. You got to try it. <clears throat> you got to have some fun sometimes when you're playing these games. So that's uh, kind of uh, in a nutshell, um, Nath of the Guilt Leaf doing uh, some leaning hard into stacks. Um, and the budget on this thing 
this is as close as I've ever come, I think, to the $15 mark so far. This was uh, when I built it. Uh, I haven't checked as of today, but when I built this like a week ago, it was $14.97, friends. But there's a lot of good cards in here. There's really good stuff in here. This is practically like if you're going to do math, this is this is pretty optimized. This is pretty good. Um, so I'm really impressed with this and the fact that we got it in, snuck it in right under that $15 budget, friends. Um, so that's what I got to say. You guys got any questions for me? You got concerns about NAF? How does it feel? Uh, chains feels awful. Um, I'll tell you that. Did you? <laughs> so Mason, last time we played, thought that chains just kind of went infinite automatically because of the way it's worded. And that might be part of the problem of chains is that no one is really sure what it does until it starts it starts doing things, right? Yeah, it, it definitely confused me. It still does. I think I got a grasp of it, but it was definitely significantly harder um, to play against it because my deck was playing roughly 15 to 20 uh, tormenting voice effects. Uh, so with the chains, it just read, discard some cards, pay some mana. Like I, I didn't get to draw any cards from it because you would have to discard a card to draw two, but you don't get to draw those cards. You just have to discard. It, it was perfect that it was it was hosing your uh, your your gruel deck so much. I didn't know that it was going to work out that way. But the downside to something like that too is that basically, I think I played that on like turn four or something. It was like turn three even. It basically just put a target on me. And and Mason and I think somebody else was just like, well, we're just going to kill this guy um, at this point. We're just going to get rid of this stupid thing. And Mason couldn't really play his deck. So, um, you know, if you're going to sit uh, on the throne, be prepared for, you know, the gusts of wind way up there. Somebody's going to try to knock you off of that pillar. Um, and, and that's definitely something that Chains does. So, um, OK, last thoughts, fellas, about these decks, about uh, yours, any any. Uh, uh advice to the noobs out there like uh like we still are i'm gonna be honest mason you're the only one with like experience here but um advice to new players advice for edh uh in this environment stuff like that um i guess my only advice right now is to be patient as a new player because like like you mentioned earlier there are some uh some growing pains to using moto um and it's still difficult for me because uh like free for all mtgo is different than 1v1 there's some added steps and weird little interactions that that are hard to navigate so be ready to take a little bit of time to learn the things but once you learn them it's it's fairly simple lucas any last thoughts here yeah here's some advice get yourself a friend like mason who is willing to help you and not a friend like Andy who's going to yell at you for not knowing how it works. There you go. Being in your head. Am I in your head, buddy? Always, Andrew. Always. <laughs> I'm, I'm in red on Lucas's headspace. Uh, it's fair that. No, we have fun. Uh, I'm, I apologize if I've, if I've yelled at you and made you feel uncomfortable for not yeah, knowing you, something. You'll credit for doing that publicly. I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> And, and I'll say this, if you ever, if anyone out there ever plays with me and I am railing on you for something that you do, I am only doing it because I see my own insecurity in what you've done and I see my own flaws and I see myself in it. And really, not to over psychoanalyze, but I am yelling at myself at the end. 
<laughs> oh boy. All right, guys. Well, uh, you know, we've gone a while. I think we're going to wrap this episode up and say goodbye to our friends. Um, last words, anybody? I got nothing. Peace out. Have fun gathering online uh, where you should stay at home for the meantime. But yeah, let's gather online. It's a good time. Yeah. All right. Thank you for listening. Thanks for joining us on this journey. Uh, we're going to be back uh, next week with some more great content. So stick around and keep checking us out. Uh, thank you. And we'll see you next time. Nighty night. <laughs>